Welcome to Staying at Home, episode number one. The purpose of this podcast is to speak with many people from many backgrounds, to inspire, to inform, to educate and learn about life at home for those who are, for whatever reason, are unable to go outside, work outside or follow the daily routines. And today we are talking about not only how it is for creative people to work, but also about our ways to stay productive and uh, stay creative once we are cooped up in the house for quite some time. Today with me, I have Christian Andrews, filmmaker, director and creative from, I think you're from Miami originally, but you live in New York City. Yeah, I'm actually, I think, a New Yorker at heart now. You know, I've been here for over a decade. I practically grew up here, but uh, yes, New Yorker at heart and now living at home due to coronavirus. <laughs> so Christian, you are doing so many things. I try to like get some information to introduce you, but um, I think the best would be you introduce yourself to the audience and share what, what you do from the mornings till the evenings. From the mornings till the evenings. Uh, well... It's it's a it's a little of everything actually, uh, even a little bit outside of the arts uh, for personal preference. But um, my main focus really is how can I and this I think this is a question that a lot of uh, artists should be asking themselves. Um, you know, how can I put myself in this best position to to reach my goals um, and my dreams? And obviously. If you are an editor or a composer or a writer, screenwriter, um, obviously finances play a big part in that. Uh, sometimes you do need, um, a, especially if you're a screenwriter, and uh, you know maybe the people that are watching this podcast or hearing this podcast um, are directors themselves, and a lot of directors are writers, and so having the mental energy to write every single day. Um, requires that financially you're not um, there's no strain outside of that creative life right and so but that's not the case with the world we live in right there's obviously obviously a lot of uh, um, uh, things that need to be in place for you to write the best possible script create the best possible film uh, and be at your peak performance right so I think it's important that a lot of uh, filmmakers set themselves up uh, to be in the best position to win and develop different uh, streams of income and passive income and dividend income um, and royalty income so that they can devote whatever they do best to uh, the arts and their scripts and their editing and composing. And whether you're even directing music videos, it's, 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 you know, your craft comes first. That's what fulfills you. That's what enlightens you. But financially, I think a lot of people are facing now that difficulty right now of not um, having, uh, you know, all work falling off and um, they didn't set up some systems in order to rely on those systems to continue to work. And one prime example that I always go back to is really um, Arnold Schwarzenegger. You know, Arnold, when he was younger, he was, um, you know, before he became who he became and went through career fields Uh, and changed so many careers, um, he had invested in real estate, you know, and he bought a, a complex, couple multifamily units, and 
he found a way to have some income come in so that he can go to auditions and he could work on his craft and work on his relationships and work on, on all of that. Right. So I think it's very important if you're an artist to find ways uh, of, of having dividend income, earned income and royalty income aside from earned income uh, so that we can be uh, pretty much a slave to the craft and continue uh, creating, you know, and so, yeah. and so that's, that's pretty much my, my belief. And, um, I, I've been, you know, a, a big fan of that idea and I, I've been working a little bit outside of, of, of film to develop a couple of that things in order to service the craft. And, you know, right now it's been, I think year three now on, uh, writing a feature script. Um, it's about, uh, um, a six-year-old girl in the Sandy Hook Elementary school shooting that took place here in 2012 in Connecticut. Um, and so, um, again, to have the mental energy uh, and creative energy to write uh, a script for three years uh, and not have outside life hardships affect that process is uh, very important. And so, you have to, as an artist, you have to develop these different systems so that you can serve as a craft, but you can't serve as a craft if you don't develop the other stuff first. To me, that's my opinion, you know? Um, and yeah, that's, that's it. That's my answer. It's really interesting because we all have friends that are starting out in a creative craft, let it be music, let it be filmmaking or whatever you can come up with. And it seems for many, even if as an artist and a personality, they have the potential to make it big or make it big enough to, to live from that. But it's interesting to observe how people start out with it and then they run out of money and they immediately start to bury their dreams or compromise on, on, on their vision. So right. yeah, it's um, hard. It's hard. It's definitely hard, especially when you have, you know, when our children are introduced to the equation and if you're kids it's it's like you now you have to make a decision should i continue through these continuous rejections i've been facing for the last 10 years as an actor or as a musician um and now i have children or should i start doing something else and i think i think that's not an option i think when you love something so much there's no option like um at its most basic core the word love right if you love something you don't stop loving it like you know you love watching netflix why would you stop watching netflix you know you love eating ice cream why would you stop you know eating ice cream you love uh, spending time with your wife why would you stop you know and so it's the same thing it's, you love music you love film you love writing you love uh, whatever it is entrepreneurship you love these things why would you stop there's no question to stop if you love it right but you know kids and finances and other things in life and even health comes plays a big part in those decisions. But I don't think there is an option. Like, I don't think people sh should have to decide between both if they really develop systems, uh, or I would say the infrastructure to hold them underneath, to hold them through all the, the hardships and rejections that are common in the, in the entertainment industry. Um, and so sometimes you just got to step back. You know, I knew that I've been working on, I've, I've worked on a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot of films, um, and some shorts of my own as well. And, It, I knew that undertaking this feature film for three years so far um, about a school shooting uh, here in America, it's, it's emotionally very taxing and, and stressful uh, with all the research and all the data and talking to families and talking to this and that. But um, to do that, there's got to be an infrastructure 
that mentally and creatively you can continue through that path. And even the path at the end, you know, there's going to be, you know, there's going to be a Rotten Tomatoes review where it can destroy your art, (laughs) you know? Uh, So it's, that is part of rejection. That is part of being in the film industry and entertainment industry. But if the rest of the rest of it, you know, you have to set up yourself to win put yourself in the best position to win to, and to realize your goals, you know? So how do I go from the idea and the concept to being able to really invest the time into developing, in your example, the, the script for your feature? Like, I have my, my experience and the idea, but how do I go from that to being able to have the financial environment to really you know take the necessary time to develop it to something good yeah i mean there's no one answer to this you know there's the classic answer of you know there's 18 hours in the day work for eight and then have the other remaining hours to work on your craft and your script and your work but obviously that that's really hard when you have kids or health issues or financial issues or don't even have the mental energy you know, I, 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 sometimes I work at some jobs where it's just like, even if you, you come home and you don't have the mental energy to creatively work on anything. I think having just savings and then working through that, I think it's the worst because your savings are going to run out. And so actually I would, if I were in that position today and, and granted I, I took action and I'm not in that position anymore, but I was, it's better to take a year or two years off your craft to build up an infrastructure of dividend income, royalty income, or passive income so that you can then go all back in for the remaining years of your life and um, and go all in on your craft, you know? And so because right now, I think the world finally is realizing with the pandemic that's going on that most people only have one type of income and that's earned income, you know, trading sweat and time for money. And that is 99.9% of the world, trading time and sweat for money. And so right now, a lot of artists are realizing, holy shit, earned income is no more. All my gigs got canceled. All my jobs got canceled. But what about the other three um, that you haven't explored? You know, passive income, dividend income, and royalty income, you know? It's it's very important to work on those other devices so that you can set up yourself to win and achieve your goals. Uh, even if it takes you like taking a year off or two years off to set these things up and then going all back in in your crafts because just relying on savings like those savings are going to run out in fact you shouldn't even be living on savings those savings should be invested to make you passive income you know and i think that's that's something that a lot of artists struggle with and the reason they struggle with it is because unfortunately and i was one of those artists is because our mothers and fathers didn't teach us financial literacy. You know, the other three types of income, they only taught us trade your time and sweat for money. And then you decide to be an artist. That's like possibly the worst combination. Here, the, here's, the, here's the three recipes for disaster. One, being a human, because we make 99% of our decisions um, based on emotion, right? So when we get all this rejection, whether you're a musician or an actor or a filmmaker, we're, we're human. And so we decide everything on emotion. So we have emotions combined. Then we have uh, possibly mom and dad that didn't teach us a lot about the other three types of income and uh, or financial literacy, right? That's the second recipe. And the third recipe is let's we decide to go into the arts, right? And so it's a recipe for hardships, right? And so it's very important to really... Uh, educate yourself on how can I achieve my goals and put myself in that position to achieve them rather than, uh, living life with hope, right? Like 
just hope, hope that it happens. I mean, hoping that something happens didn't really get anyone anywhere. You, you mentioned a few sentences earlier, the value of, uh, what did you say, mental energy or mental... Uh, yeah, mental energy. Yeah. So how do you stay focused for a longer time? I, I only can imagine, uh, first of all, writing is not at all my quality. Um, yeah. so for me, it's like, if I need to write a one page document, like I really have to give it my best that an anyone would be volunteering to read it. But a film script is a whole different, whole different ball game. Like how do you keep yourself energized and willing to get up in the morning in time to really push yourself for progress versus falling into the procrastination trap? That's a great question. So Uh, I'm actually going to give credit to a great coach and her name is Mel Robbins. And Mel Robbins has this amazing rule called uh, the five second rule. And the five second rule pretty much um, allows you to tap into places where emotionally you don't want to, right? And thus you procrastinate, right? We procrastinate because it's, it's a way of our brains and our bodies surviving. They know that something out there is out to hurt us, meaning it's going to put us in the place of discomfort, in the place of uncertainty, in the place of uh, doubt or fear. And so whenever we feel that, because you know, this project or these kinds of people you have to work with or whatever you're tackling, you have to face it, your body and your brain automatically go into survival mode. You know, it's the same instinct your body had when you were trying to not get eaten by a bear, <laughs> you know, in medieval times, you know, uh, uh, it's, it's very important that you realize what your brain and your body are doing. And it's pretty much uh, a, a reflex that your, your, your body says, and your brain says, saying, listen, this project or these people or this rejection is hurting you. I'm going to protect you. So I'm going to allow you to procrastinate a little bit because I want to, I want to protect you. And so we fall then to the trap because we're humans and we make all of our decisions based on emotions. So we're like, Oh, I'll just procrastinate on it. You know, and I'll just, I'll, it's okay. It's okay. because I, I, this scares me. And so you procrastinate and procrastinate and procrastinate, keep going. And that cycle never stops. And so in a way you, The, the beautiful thing is that your brain is deciding uh, first what you should do rather than you on a conscious level deciding what's best for you. Like your brain automatically decides. And I think that's the worst thing to do, um, uh, letting your brain decide because you, your brain doesn't know any better what's actually best for you. Your brain only knows to protect you from things that scare you, cause uncertainty, cause doubt or, or cause pain. And so going back to Mel Robbins, the five second rule is, is literally, uh, which I, I implore everyone to read that book, the five second rule. It's pretty much about how to count backwards from five to one and what happens between you making a decision for yourself before your emotions hit and before your brain decides that you should lose focus and focus on this because it wants to make you feel comfortable. And so I think that's, that's the problem. You know, in, in fact, a lot of people are going through it right, right now that we're going through a pandemic. A lot of people are, you know, having trouble working from home because it now there is no boss supervising you. There is no one, no one standing next to you. And now you must take your intrinsic motivation skills to motivate you to complete work. And, and, you know, it's not extrinsic. You don't have a parent or a boss standing or a police officer standing right next to you, shouldering to see if you complete your work. Now you're relying on intrinsic motivation. And a lot of people are going through that right now during this pandemic. And so yeah. your intrinsic motivation is actually failing you because we're allowing our brains to decide because 
things scare us. And so we'll procrastinate on, on the things and we'll lose a lot of focus and a lot of work won't get done, especially if you're an artist, you know, where the intrinsic motivation, there's no monetary value at the end of the day. You know, it's like a regular worker completes its work right now from home during this pandemic they're at least going to get compensated because they're still employed working from home. But an artist, you know, especially a screenwriter, there is no, they've got to have even bigger intrinsic motivation to finish that script because there is no guaranteed monetary value that you're going to receive some sort of salary or compensation at the end or recognition for completing it. So for me, in, in terms of focusing, so writing comes really, really easy to me when it comes to writing. However, the script I'm working on has not come easy to me at all. And and partly it's because of the nature of the, of the script, the subject matter. It's, 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 my brain has gone into full mode protecting me from things that, that scare me or disturb me or make me uncomfortable or make me feel anxiety or pain. And that script makes me feel that because of the subject matter dealing with the murder of children and families and victims and the psychology behind, you know, uh, mass murderers and, and tons, tons more things. And so it's, it's really, uh, to the point where I've had a lot of nightmares over the last 36 months because of the writing. And so, so that one is a little different, Uh, you know, writing comes easy, but this one has come really hard. So you just have to take the time to do it and then know that, the medium we are in, in the entertainment industry, is a beautiful medium and a powerful medium at that, that has the power to really influence or educate the audience on something that uh, hasn't been spoken before or needs more awareness of. And so I just have to hold on to that, that value of what the medium provides that it is one of the most powerful mediums to raise complex questions and present complex political issues. And so that's my intrinsic motivation that I, that obviously as an, as an artist, I, I must finish this because for the, for the better will of, of communicating these ideas. What are you afraid of once the work is done? Personal ex- example that leads to this question is, I just started this project, the podcast, with, you know, idea. I developed the whole setup and everything. But my my concern about this particularly is that um, negative feedback, as you said, like, I don't know what the rotten tomatoes of podcasting <laughs> is. <laughs> Probably Twitter. Right, Twitter, definitely. <laughs> but, <laughs> but does this slow you down, the, the fear of failure or like starting something and while doing it knowing you could do better like i with many creative projects i have always these challenges to overcome where i need to tell myself dude as long as you get up and do it it will be good enough for someone yeah it's no point in freezing how do you deal with this internal challenge because as creatives we are all our worst critics uh, the same way we are all i I think I think realizing the answer to that, I think is realizing that we are on this planet earth for a very limited time. And, um, what we do today, uh, and, and the happiness we bring to our souls and perhaps to our family and our close ones, um, is so much more important than, you know, what, what reviews do you get on your work? What Rotten Tomatoes reviews? What are critics saying from the Los Angeles Times? What are, you know, it's, what are the Sundance critics saying? Like all of that is arbitrary. It's, it's unrelated to, you know, the fact that you even made a film or made that, that album 
is 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 like congratulations because a you're doing what you love and b you got it done you know and so uh, i i think what comes after is arbitrary uh the fact that you completed a film you know it's 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 grandiose i mean the challenge of it is obviously very difficult and especially completing a great film is even it's even harder but um, yeah, I think all of it, all of that is arbitrary. I mean, personally, I, I don't care, um, you know, what people say about my work at all. Um, I'm just, I'm just at peace with the fact that I made it and, um, that I crossed that line and that I know, because at the end of the day, when you're 90 years old in a senior assisted living facility and, your son or daughter only comes to visit you once every two months and maybe hopefully once every two weeks if you're lucky and they don't have a busy life. And then you're just going to be sitting there with regret. It's like, shit, I was younger. I should have, I should have made that film. I cared too much what people thought. I cared too much what my, even my dad thought, because maybe your dad wanted you to become a lawyer or a doctor. Um, and when you're 90 years old there, it's like, none of that matters anymore. You, you're only living with regret. And so you got to go all out and do what you want to do. You know, um, there's just no, no other option. You just, you, you, you shouldn't be doubting or, or doubting yourself or, or putting these, these strains of arbitrary opinion on, on your own work. What's, what's most important is that you complete your work and that you learn from it. You learn from those failures because a lot of people are so engrossed with what others will say and I think that's that's what the world we live in, especially you know the the Instagram, TikTok, Snapchat world we live in of like how do people perceive me? How do people? How do I look? Numbers driven value. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and so, what's most important is realizing that you're going to be 90 years old and you're going to live with regret. And so, completing something is so much more important than thinking about doing it or thinking about how others will perceive it, because the completion of it is it's grandiose. It's the most marvelous thing. You know, it's uh, and that's why I'm, I'm a big believer of, you know, ideas being shit. You know, everyone has an idea. Everyone thought of Airbnb before Airbnb. Everyone thought of Uber before Uber. Everyone thought of yep. Saving Private Ryan before Saving Private Ryan. Everyone thought of Jaws. You know, uh, everyone thought of uh, thought of, of that writing that kind of script arrival. And but it's like it's irrelevant. Like who executed first? That's what it all goes down to. And so when you understand that, you have to accept the arbitrary opinions that come with, uh, you know, your work, your release of your work. But know that completing it is the most marvelous thing over um, overthinking. Should, uh, should I do it? Should I not? Or should I complete it? How do I get through it? What will people think? You know, uh, at the end of the day, you know, you're you have no regrets when you're sitting there and you're 90 years old, you know, that's, that's what's most important. But at the same time, going back to it, as long as you're also have the infrastructure to do your work, but have some consistent income come in so that, especially if you have kids, you're not putting them in the position where you're being selfish and you're only focusing on your work, 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 you know, and, uh, uh, like you can do both. There is no, a lot of people ask this question of like, oh, what should I choose? Should I do this or should I do this? Should I yeah. become a lawyer or should I become a filmmaker? Should I become this? Should I spend more time with my kids? It's like, you can do all of it. Imagine a filmmaker that actually understands the contracts that he's signing. <laughs> <laughs> That's funny. That's funny. Yeah. 
Yeah, filmmakers should should definitely uh, read more law, more law and yeah. more tax law. That's for sure. Yeah. So why is film still relevant in a world where we have days of content uploaded to YouTube every second? Why do, does Hollywood still matter? And why do indie films matter in today's world? Because everyone is a human and humans have emotions and with emotions come stories and hardships and stories never told and people are able to connect to stories um for we'll always connect to stories forever and ever and ever till the end of time you know it's it's from the beginning of time storytelling was the most powerful medium um for connection for education for sympathy for compassion for propaganda you look at hitler right for everything it's just it's it's um it's the most uh, uh powerful medium storytelling and uh and and then also you take away the context of film narrative and you go back down to uh, uh, you go to a documentary, you know, and, and the media world and all of that is still story. Right. And so storytelling will never die. What will die, I, I have, uh, I believe, is the, the noise. People will have a better ability to disintegrate and separate themselves from bad content, uh, which includes films and documentaries and everything else, because there is so much being published that only the best will win. Only the best will be the loudest. Only the best will have the most attention. And so then now, if you look at some filmmaking today is, I believe, at its most intelligent form of creation. If I could word it like that, it's, it's what I'm trying to say is Film is being made today with such intelligence in terms of how people perceive story, how people's attention span changes every three seconds, uh, what captivates people. And filmmaking was never developed or written or edited this way. If you look back at the films of the 1960s, so what changed? You know, it's like we were still humans with the same needs, the same attention spans, almost. You know, but what what, what changed, right? And so I feel like filmmaking is getting higher and higher and higher in terms of creativity and artistic value that if you're a filmmaker today, you got to raise your game. You got to, you got to write the best possible script. You got to direct the best possible script. You got to edit the best possible film. You, you got to compose the best po possible music that calls for that film. It's, you got to raise your game. And, and so if you can't adjust to the market and that's what the market is calling, you know, the market says there's a shit ton of media and shit ton of film today. How are you going to stand out? Well, you got to raise your standards. You got to raise your standards of what you can accept for yourself. But again, it's not a, like going back to what I was speaking about. It's not about, it's not a competition per se in terms of, you know, if you are an artist at heart and you feel very fulfilled by the work that you create, by all means, do that forever. But if you are fulfilled by arbitrary opinions and you do have this need to compete with film festivals and this and that, then that's that's a different trait uh, found in your personality. And that's all good too. It's just realizing which kind of person am I, you know? Because uh, I believe the, 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 the world that we live in today is pushing you to believe you should be one kind of person that, you know, if you don't have enough likes on your Instagram, then you're less worthy, you know, when it's like, we're all worth something in different sections because we all have strengths and weaknesses, you know, and so double down on your strengths, go, the superpowers you have, as a friend said, the superpowers you have, 
right now, you should go all in and never focus on your weaknesses. So if you're a terrible writer, whoever is listening, don't focus on perfecting or working on your writing. You know, perfect example is Catherine Bigelow. You know, she directed a couple of films before what brought her a lot of recognition was The Her Locker in 2009. You know, she she works with Mark Bowen. That's the perfect example that I can think of in the film industry where it's like, Here's a director where she realizes when the combination of two strengths make a better film, you should you should go all in on your superpowers on her directing and not worry about writing. Right. Uh, the same goes for cinematographers and 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 director relationships and or even editors. You know, it's like you hire the best editor to get the job done. You don't try to learn it. Christopher Nolan doesn't try to learn how to edit or Christopher Nolan doesn't try to learn how to color, although he may have, you know, great, great education on it. He hires the best, and, and and that's what the best companies do. You know, that's what Apple does. That's what Elon Musk does with SpaceX. He doesn't try to learn. I mean, although he knows he's an engineer himself, uh, he doesn't try to learn. You know, rocket. Uh, you know, science, whatever you would call manufacturing the process, the most yeah. difficult. Although yeah. he knows a lot of it. You know, he yeah. from the beginning of time, he actually knows. A lot of people blame him that he doesn't know. A lot of it, he actually does. Um, and, but, you know, he hires the best and he'll hire people from NASA. And so this is the same exact thing. It's like, why would you work on your, all your writing skills if you're not a good of a writer? Like get the best possible scripts from, you know, uh, festival competitions, uh, or in screenwriting contests and, and partner up and then go all out on your directing or the same thing goes with music. You know, um, uh, if you're not the best singer, but you're the best producer, like stop trying to be a singer produce someone else's album because you are able to identify talent and you understand the market, you know? So it's like, I think focusing on your superpowers and strengths is so much more important because I think all of us are trying to work on our weaknesses and don't realize that that, that is actually a weakness in of itself. It's a weakness that you're working on your weakness, you know? Yeah. I think some of it has to do with control. Like when we work on something that we care about, uh, we have a difficult time to let control, uh, to give control over it uh, to someone else. Mm. Uh, that's why we try to do so many things by ourselves where we know exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's, that's not the, the secret sauce, but. Uh, it's never you know, a secret it's, sauce. It's never the secret yeah. sauce to anything successful that happened in the world. You know, like yeah. James Cameron couldn't have made Avatar by himself he didn't have at the very least at the very least at least 15 other people just as talented as him behind the camera creating with him you know yeah. uh yes he's the driving force but you know it's it's just it's a matter of partnership partnership is what drives something into into success from either businesses or film or writing or anything but yeah i, I think that's a very selfish thing to to think about where like oh i'm gonna do it myself you can it'll take you longer and it may not result in the best possible uh, quality. I think it should probably be best that you find a partner you click with who then would be open to hearing your ideas and your visions. And and I think, you know, I don't personally know the relationship between Mark Bowl and Catherine Bigelow. It's very um, important that we realize that it's through relationships that great things get made. Yeah, and relationship management is so important. In my day job, I work at a financial technologies company and uh, we're all working from home and we do not have many tools to really connect to each other except like phone calls and emails on a like day-to-day -day basis. Yeah. 
and uh, still you need to get the work done and you still need to find a language that you can get the message to the other person but also making sure you are not saying the wrong things to you know not compromise on the goal yeah. And from my own creative work, I've done a lot of photography. I've uh, started, I don't know, 2010-ish with that. And I've covered from like a lot of motor racing. I've uh, photographed at the 24 hours of Le Mans to conflict journalism with Freelance Society, where we went to Iraq and uh, covered the, the events of Daesh uh, in, in the region. Uh, one of my dear friends, uh, um, also a Christian, a Christian Stephen, was during that time in um, in Syria, in Aleppo, actually, and they mm. did the first virtual reality wow. film in an active war zone. Um, it's just so, you know, interesting to see how things happen when you work with other people and, uh, you know, also how you need to deal with your emotional situation you said it yourself like your project is really uh, a challenge in that area and uh, i've been there so many times like nothing is more you know more challenging to to yourself than mm. seeing things that are so brutal yeah um and you still somehow need to manage to not get that in the way when you work with other people and that's that's a journey and a lesson that that I've uh, made myself for for many years. That no matter how exciting or how brutal something is that you're confronted with, you can't let your emotions, your ego, and your own laziness get in the way of what you're doing. Um, and I think it's an ongoing uh, ongoing challenge yeah, for ongoing uh, every. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's really hard to, to maintain that focus. Um, I'm actually a, a really big fan of um, this theory. Uh, it's called Parkinson's Law. And uh, Parkinson's Law states that uh, a task will be completed for the time allowed for completion. And uh, pretty much if you go back to college for a second and the professor gives you four weeks to complete a paper, um, you will take those four weeks to complete that paper. Um, but if you, the teacher only gives you about four hours to complete that paper and it's due in four hours online that you have to submit it online, um, you will find a way to complete that paper in four hours. And so, uh, and so the amount of time that we give something, um, really, uh, the putting deadlines for some reason, psychologically, allows us to complete work. Whether it's good or bad, that is a subject of muscle building, right? Just like going to the gym. But the completion uh, of it is so, so important. And so setting those deadlines, setting those timeframes, like I only have until next Friday to complete this short script. I only have until next Friday to complete this edit. Uh, and it's not a real deadline, but you make it seem, and you have the discipline to make it seem like it is a real deadline. You will find yourself that you actually being so much more productive and you're in a, in a state of in, immense focus because of that, that theory, you know, Parkinson's law, something will get completed for the time allowed. Right. And so uh, false deadlines work wonderfully for, for focus. But again, it's now the concept of accepting that it is a real deadline that uh, I think, uh, you know, a lot of us will slack, right. Where it's like, Oh, it's actually not a real deadline. I'll, I'll finish the next month. 
you know, due date like, oh. is due date. Yeah, it's like, oh, you know, it's like, oh, I can, I'll get married in, in six years. It's all, it's all good. I, I don't have to marry her now uh, until she dumps you. And she's like, <laughs> but uh, no, it's the completion. Completion uh, uh, deadlines are very, very important. I think that's that's the number one focus. How did you start uh, filmmaking, uh, or was that the first thing that you did? commit to in a creative way or did you start with music what was your first love in in creativity yeah so actually i got into filmmaking by accident it really kind of sucked me in but i was always in the arts you know i grew up as a musician i started playing piano when i was six then i went on to play saxophone when i was 11 Uh, I was always in art schools. I went to performing arts high school in Miami called New World School of the Arts. And then I went to, it was not until later that I found, I was always in music for a very long periods of time and, uh, you know, uh, composition at the time and orchestral composition and counterpoint and harmonic movements and Beethoven and Mozart and all these things. And uh, I started writing music for film. And one thing led to another. I, I, I fell in love with film, but I was so upset at, at the way scores were being developed. Very atonal, not, you know, not, not uh, a lot of rhythmic synthesizers, not a lot of orchestral counterpoint harmonic writing. And so I was, you know, I studied all this music for all these years to just have this one note just ringing the bottom on a D minor chord, you know? And so upset at that, I'm like, I'm gonna, I, I, let me just try, give it a try. I'm going to direct a film and then put the music that I want to write. It was sort of backwards. I was very young at the time. And then I did, and I made a, a, a short, and then it needed no music <laughs> because uh, it was very uh, documentary-like. And that's why I'm a big fan of, yeah. of, of Catherine. You know, uh, she films it very accurate, very documentary-like style. And, and it was like that. And I, I come from a journalistic background where my mom was a journalist. And so, you know, my mom taught me critical thinking and stuff and uh, to always question sources and the way information is presented and data and things like that. And so that part of my brain developed and, you know, my mom's journalistic behaviors around the house influenced me to a degree where later on, when I started directing seriously, I started being involved with more social issues and human rights issues and issues that affect the, uh, our country and, and, and the world. And so, um, I sort of mixed journalism, what I had grown up with and music in terms of creativity it's sort of i was sucked into it and uh you know i obviously took a couple of uh, acting classes when i was at the new school in new york uh i had just um got enough out of juilliard and so it really you know acting sort of opened the door to seeing the other side of human behavior and the human condition. And I'm like, wow, I really need to go all in on directing, you know? And so that's how it started. It's it just, you know, it, it was just, I, I would never make the conscious choice. It was more of a sort of a need as a creative artist to uh, express what I was feeling and how I saw the world. And that's how it started. What would you say to someone that says, I want to get started uh, with filmmaking? What would be your advice and resources uh, for this person? Someone started in filmmaking. Okay, that's a great question. As of today, right now, 2020, 
because the world will change again in 2025. We'll be in a different world. But as of 2020, I will say that um, definitely skip film school and not because I'm advocating for not educating yourself. I'm advocating for not having debt. Um, the, the crushing debt is going to then play a part into you not being stressed about finances, not being able to create later. Right. So definitely skip film school because it can't, it, it just, the, when I say that, I'm talking about mostly America, right? Uh, obviously yeah. not Germany where obviously universities are much more open to its citizens here. It's like, you know, you got to take out those loans, you know, those 50 K loans a year. And so for, for, for a filmmaker, definitely, you know, I'm, I implore you to educate yourself as much as possible by two, doing two things. And one of them is really by being surrounded by the people you look up to and you want to be like, and try to surround yourself around those people. Uh, try to learn from what they're doing, their behavior, their thinking, the way they see business and film and creativity. And that's number one. You got to be around those people and set yourself, put yourself in, the, in those positions. And then number two would be about failure, developing a great relationship with failure. A lot of people just get bitter about failing and they don't realize that that's affecting their relationship with, with failure. I mean, failure is the only key to do anything successful. Uh, you know, you look back at the Wright brothers, um, Wilbur and Old Girl Wright who invented the plane. Uh, for those, those of you youngsters who may not know who the Wright brothers are. And so, you know, it's, it's, it took them more than 2000 wing designs, airfoil designs, airline designs, tr wind turbine designs. I mean, so many, so much testing, so much failing, failing to the point where it's like, it's not only in the design failing, but like they don't even have the resources. Uh, uh, so they got to figure out, okay, how can we get more resources and failing with, with those grants and networking and selling their bicycle business and, and to try to get some more money. And then all of that testing and testing all to get up in the air and then the plane falls and they break a couple of ribs. And so now they're laid off for a little bit, you know, and, 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 and so it's like all these failures that at, even at the very end have to do with physical failures. It led to inventing the airplane. You know, and that's why we have the world that we have today. And so it's the same exact thing that I preach. A lot of filmmakers are just not willing to go through those failures. You know, you have to fail often. You have to fail consistently and, and fail. But most importantly, you have to be failing towards the path that you want. You know, now I'm not talking about failing in, in, you know, your relationships or romantic relationships or failing with this and that or failing with drug abuse. I'm talking about failing forward, right? Failing towards your goal is, is, yeah. but, but developing a healthy relationship with failure that you understand that failure is part of the process. You understand that failing gives you the actual data points that you need to make things better. Um, you can't, there's just no book or no online course that's going to literally sit down with you and tell you, these are the, these are the data points. These are the things you need to do. Uh, you know, there's advice from, you know, very successful people, but the answer, the data points that you need are actually rooted in your failures. You know, that film failing, what do I need to do differently? Cinematography not looking good. What do I need to do differently? Uh, people not connecting with your film. What do I need to do differently regarding to writing character work, you know? And so, and, and that's just creatively, right? Uh, when you talk about now career, which has nothing to do with creative, but rather strategic chess pieces that you need to do in terms of 
uh, putting yourself in the best position to succeed. It's it's like, why did I fail? You know, these are the data points. And, and that's how the Wright brothers invented the airplane. It's through those data points. And and I relate the Wright brothers to Elon Musk, you know, solar company and Tesla and SpaceX and everything is, is all based on data points um, on what are the failures? What do we need to address? And so it's because he has a great, excellent relationship with failure. Again, it's another thing that our mom and dad didn't teach us, you know, how to have a relationship with failure. Our dad and my mom and dad possibly a lot for a lot of people taught us that you already failed. That's enough. Now go become a doctor. You know, it's like, stop playing around. You know, it's like, we already saw you fail enough. Okay. It's time to get married. You know, for for those for those uh, girls that perhaps their mothers are, are pushing them, you know, to get married. Um, yeah. But it's always this thing. It's like they don't know any better on relationship with failure, much less you, because they didn't teach you. So then we all get dragged down. I'm like, oh, I'm so I'm failing so much. It's like there's so much beautiful data points and 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 research data that's being handed to you through your failure. So analyze those. Analyze those like. Like it's life or death, like just plan those out. You know, what, what did these failures give me? And so you have to fail often. If you're not failing often, you're not going to get there. And so in terms of, you know, a beginning filmmaker, you know, or, or what should they do? Find, find to go to film school, obviously, if it's, you're not going to accrue any and assume any debt, right? Uh, or at least unhealthy debt. A little debt would be okay, right? Granted, if you can pay it off, right? But, but educate yourself if you're in America, I would definitely skip uh, film school because of the debt aspect, but I would find ways to educate yourself through other means. So being around the right people and failing consistently. And those are the only two keys. That's the only way you're going to become a great filmmaker. Yeah, fantastic. Do you have one project that is at the moment so far out of reach, but you know, like you want to make the next Lord of the Rings or like <laughs> some, what is your utopian passion project that you Ooh. wish one day you can, yeah. you can make? Yeah. You actually almost nailed it there with one key phrase, but uh, yeah, I do have a, a project lined up right after this uh, film regarding the school shooting. Uh, I have another script I'm working on. It's, it's, uh, it's not, it has a little bit, a little part of what we're, going through right now as, as, uh, together as humans with this pandemic, it has a little bit of that, you know, so there's been so much hate and, and people, I mean, here's what people don't realize right after, when, when I say this, I'm talking about mostly America because Europe and Europeans are, are different kinds of people in America. You know, there's, 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 you can't be close to people right now, you know, social distancing and this and this and that, you know. And so what we don't realize is that once the virus is gone, life goes back to normal. It actually doesn't go back to normal. People are going to be so much more distant, not only physically distant, but I believe the handshakes are going to stop, you know, uh, they're going to decline slightly. Uh, so human connection is going to stop a little bit. We're going to go more into the VR world, you know, with the goggles and everything. And it's like, we're going to start losing a little bit of that because of what just went on. And so, uh, yeah, my next film explores a lot of aspects of what a, a modern world will most likely look like 
using data points of real world scenarios. So it's not a uh, one film that I do absolutely love that I, I've been very inspired by for my second film is uh, is called uh, Children of Men, which yes, you, that's you know my that. favorite movie. Oh, it's one of my Alfonso. favorites. Yeah, yeah, Alfonso just did a heck of a job there. It's just it's yeah. beautiful. And so I have a film that you know through a vast amounts of research on journalists that have been on the ground and horrific places in the world and you know north korea and china and uh, myanmar and its concentration camps and the racism that exists in this country and children being held in cages right now uh, in the u.s you know it uses actual data points of actual things that journalists have have seen and found and why it happens and why it's happening and why nothing's being done and uh i think uh yeah if 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 all the pieces are are line up i i you know i'd like to make a film that um explores what a, what the real world would look like using those data points but it it really um i hope that the film just has a a wake up effect to yeah. what what's going on you know there's also so much abuse of power going on in this world. Um, and so, so yeah, that's, that's, that's all I can say about the project. Um, but, uh, but yeah, that's, that's, that's the plan. And that's way in the future. I, I, I I gotta have, go back to my focus training and see if I can focus on that one. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm nonetheless excited for this, for the future. You know, a lot of people are, um, very, uh, negative with everything that's going on right now in the world, but you always have to, you know, the glass is half full, you know, be optimistic. Yeah. Yeah. And this, I think, is the most important message, especially in the context of staying at home. If you like it or not, you know, a lot of introverts are like, well, nothing in my life has changed. I didn't know that <laughs> that I was, was doing is quarantine. <laughs> <laughs> Editors <laughs> especially. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but uh, staying positive and focus on the things that make you excited to look to the future. And if what you're working on right now is not the big behemoth project that's you know is the the big one f- for you, uh, but it might be the one that gets you where you want to be in the future. And um, thank you, thank you. That's very kind of you. Yeah, I, I hope to. I hope to make it the way uh, I want to make it. Uh, but yeah, one 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 duck at a time, as they say. So right now we're just focusing on this on this script, and hopefully, you know, it will have an impact on what's going on. I mean, I hate to say it, but you know, here in America, because of this pandemic, gun sales have spiked. I mean, and it's just it, it, the way that stock market dropped three thousand points just the other day. It was the opposite for gun sales. It was just spiked, you know, and which makes it makes sense. I mean, if food stores start running out of uh, uh, food, you know, yeah. people are going to start robbing, you know, and yeah. so and so people want to protect themselves. Um, and I'm all, I'm all for okay. self defense and the right yeah. to bear arms and the right to uh, the right to uh, uh, carry a firearm. But when it comes to military style weapons that that's a different that's a different story and and mostly because you know right now the the gun sales have spiked but that's that's mostly because it well that's going to lead to 
uh, more suicide, more teen suicides, more uh, uh, younger children coming in contact with guns because parents don't really uh, safeguard their guns. And there's going to lead to more mass shootings and it's going to lead to more everything. So um, it's very important that I, I actually finish making this film and, and move yeah. into the future. And hopefully, hopefully it has an effect on people because it's just there is there is – there is a moderate line we should all live by here in America, the right to self-defense and stuff. But I think we're now on the extremist side. Uh, and yeah, so- I think it, it all goes back to um, not even guns, but like the uh, madness about the toilet paper. You know, people are afraid. They don't know what's ahead of them. Mm-hmm. And they resort to the things that they think is best for them. But what is missing uh, when we see like people punching each other over a bag of recycled paper is the self-awareness and the reflectiveness and the responsibility for themselves and others. And I think that is um, a reason uh, why I'm a little bit concerned of uh, what I see out in the world right now is that a lot of selfish um, things are happening and people react more with emotions and uh, in, in every direction. One could be panic, the other could be denial. The truth is somewhere in the middle. Right. These both extremes are no good for no one. Exactly. I think any extreme in life is no good. You know, uh, I think rationale, logic, compassion right in the middle of you know people having uh access to their rights is is uh, is what a beautiful nation consists of but extremism either left or right is always is always bad yeah thank you so much for taking the time and to be my first guest on the staying at home podcast <laughs> thank you thank you for having me it's a pleasure. i hope uh that at uh, some point we can continue this or do this again if you like and absolutely uh, yeah that uh, today we were able to deliver some value to people that are listening especially people that are interested at uh, in the art of movies and um if you have any feedback dear audience and if you have anything that you would like to ask christian or um if you would like to know more about the art and craft of filmmaking or being a a financially independent uh, creative you can reach out to us over the website uh, which will be linked in the podcast uh, file and i hope we talk again soon Absolutely. Stay safe. Stay uh, close to your loved ones and uh, continue on working on those projects. Don't be that 90-year-old with regret. (laughs) Definitely not. (laughs) Thank you so much, Christian. Thank you, Simon. It's a pleasure. Bye-bye.